Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. Hey, Abby Martin. And uh, we're doing a um, an episode before we do our World War II episode because we're just just a lot of work to put into and we're still trying to make sure that it's the best it can possibly be before we do it. So there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Covert war with Iran, breaking bad style magnetic bomb assassinations on Iranian nuclear scientists. Um, for anyone who wants to know what that Breaking Brad reference was and hasn't seen the show yet, don't look it up. Uh, the Stop Online Piracy Act, which was uh, being debated in Congress and the Senate, over 7,000 websites blacked out their site today in protest of the bill. And we're going to talk later about how that's, you know, why it's such an outright assault on net neutrality and free speech on the internet and why Media Roots would be a prime example of the type of site that would be targeted for aggregating copyright material. So it's really important to explain what these bills are, why they're so dangerous, and why they're still a threat even though they might be, you know, they might not pass per se, but what's going to be, what are they going to be drafted into later and formulated later with the same principles? So that's, that's what we should really be aware about. We can't always count on web giants to maintain net neutrality for us or corporations so we got to look out for ourselves in this battle because it's really all online right now um aside from that um we i was just on russia today television again last week uh two times actually and i'll link to those on the timeline right now if you haven't seen them one was just talking about the gop primaries being a complete dog and pony show distraction from real issues going on the other was uh, comments on the marine urination scandal video that went viral that showed the marines uh urinating on the corpse of supposed or alleged uh, taliban insurgents even though in the video there's like a wheelbarrow at the scene and there's no way to really discern whether or not these people are insurgents i mean i guess that's the whole point of this war is that there really is no way to tell it's just plain clothes people who are armed so like glenn greenwald said we just call anyone who we kill an insurgent or a terrorist or a terrorist yeah, I'm reading over some of these thoughts from uh, commenter Ted Jones about the, your your appearance. Yeah, he makes some really good points here. Yeah, I wanted to... Ted Jones is a three-term Iraq veteran uh, Marine Scout sniper who wrote me saying, you know, he really liked my appearance on RT talking about the way that warfare is waged, kind of like a video game combat where there's a lot of cognitive dissonance between the soldiers and reality. And he just said... Um, quote, I love your thoughts about our troops dealing with the sort of cognitive dissonance while serving. That's been one of my biggest arguments since I've been out. That video games and the masculine obsession with war and violence are the fuel fed not only to kids wanting to join the military, but it's also fuel for the propaganda that's rammed down throats of our overworked and undereducated society. And if you think about it, the whole show starts young in grade school, junior high sports teach kids to think their opponents as enemies and as long as they low five with a good game at the end of it everything's cozy take that mentality of the war on terror and twist it a little tell them that the men in sandals are the worst evils the world has ever seen that they're ruthless crazies with an eye to see all americans dead and you now have an army of scared gullible even more ruthless kids who think they're protecting america by subconsciously wanting to eradicate an entire culture and so he just goes on and um to talk about PTSD and the fact that you know soldiers who are leaving these war-torn areas uh, dealing with these horrific things 
that they're having to deal with and do um, totally detach from it and how they're dealing with that when they come back obviously not treated properly mentally the PTSD and the suicide rate has skyrocketed it's even surpassed uh, the fatalities in the war so I mean this last year that, that was one of the censored stories of Project Censored so this guy is agreeing uh, with our statement there's some other points that I think are important to make as well and, and one of those main things that I've been thinking about after watching this urination video and, and watching soldiers throwing puppies off cliffs and things like that um, it just makes me think that this is not this is not an organically built up like rage against the enemy from shell shock day in and day out like you know during World War One when we were fighting Germany people were understandably rageful and filled with the fight or flight instinct, you know, every hour because they thought they were going to be killed by an artillery shell. And in Iraq, you know, unlike World War II in Vietnam, we're not fighting a standing army. We're not fighting a group of organized insurgents that's battling us and, and getting us engaged in a firefight on a regular basis. These people are instilled with this automatic hatred, and it's almost like a dehumanization of people that they rarely encounter. Most of the time, they don't even see who's shooting at them. They're peeing on them, not even in a hateful way, but just in like a funny way. Like, oh, let's just like piss on these dead bodies. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're definitely using video games now. I know that they use them in training. Uh, and it's just the mentality of the kids that even join the military. It's like that video game warfare mentality. Where they just want to kill people. Well, as we, yeah, as we become more desensitized and more detached from what's actually going on in war... It's, it is really eerie to watch these videos and to see such an inhuman, detached reaction to what's going on. You know, the guy looks like he kills maybe 40 people in one aerial bomb, and he just goes, oh, dude. Oh, man, that was... Oh, whoa, dude. The warfare we're fighting now is not similar to any, any sort of warfare in the past that we've fought. It's now robot wars, drones, military contractors, and these faraway aerial bombings of just like obliterating entire villages. I mean, we don't even have a established following the Geneva Convention's prisoner of war system in this, in these wars. We deem everybody as a quote enemy combatant and we strip away all the rights that they're normally supposed to have in a war. Anyways, it was never declared as a war. Like you said, um, this is not a normal war. So I guess all this leads to, you know, you always hear people saying, well, that's expected in war. War is hell. It's like, okay, real war, I mean, is hell for both sides. It's crazy. It's, I mean, it's absolute hell. But this is not a war in the normal sense. This is a mechanized, extremely technologically advanced force invading another country and occupying it. That and has killing like no army at all. And like killing no anyone defense. who gets in their way. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's a, a car full of civilians trying to drive through a checkpoint. That's what it is. It's not a war. I'm yeah, sorry. We obliterated their, like, whatever military capacity they had within, like, the first week of the invasion in Afghanistan. I mean, that's just a country full of mountains, goat herders, and just, like, villagers for the most part. 92% of Afghanis polled in 2010 said they didn't even know what 9-11 was in certain areas that we, where the military was the most present. So these people really have no idea why we're there, and we're just killing them off. So to just keep using 9-11 as this emotional pull for everything is absolutely disgusting. And the CNN contributor, Laura uh, Dersh, her name was, I think... <clears throat> and 
I'll correct that on the timeline if I'm if I'm wrong about that. But she said that she dropped trow and piss on them too. And Bill Maher said this something similar vein. And it's just like what? <laughs> and 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 she also said no. This was the craziest part. She just said because they're part of a network that killed three thousand Americans. Once again, pulling in inaccurately pulling. A, on the emotional pull of 9-11 to justify this insane atrocity of desecrating a corpse of a person that you don't even know if they're an insurgent or not because you probably just killed them yeah. checking. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, her premise is totally faulty in its face. This is not part of a network that killed 3,000 Americans. Uh, the Taliban had nothing to do with 9-11. So it's just disgusting to hear this propaganda being peddled still as truth. I mean, what the hell? There's so many different angles to the propaganda, too. I mean, even the acceptance angle where it's like, well, war is hell. You know, what do you expect? I feel like it's similar to people who supported Obama at first and denied all his wrongdoings. And then at a certain point, they tip to, well, the president of the United States has no power anyways. He's impotent. Of course, he can't like do these things. So it's the, the it's almost like the the stage of actually facing the reality of it and seeing it for what it is is never experienced. Instead, it goes from one form of propaganda to another. Yeah. I guess it's it's An automatic odd. complacence. Like, well, you know, that's war. Yeah, or people who denied that we would that we've actually just killed reporters in cold blood in Iraq. Watching the WikiLeaks video, they'll be like, oh well, I mean, come on, you can't blame this the soldiers or the situation because this is what this happens every day. It's like. Well, weren't you just saying that, like, report... I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's we a also targeted disconnect. Reuters headquarters and Al Jazeera... I'm, I'm sorry, Al Jazeera headquarters. We actually, like, attempted to bomb them and kill the reporters there. This is this is documented that our military did that. Uh, so, what, you know, what does that say? But one other thing um, that I got from this guy... Ted Jones, who wrote me um, after seeing the appearance on RT, I just wanted to say one thing also that he said. He said... We all saw participated in horrible things. That's unavoidable, especially as Marines, where shit like pissing on dead bodies is encouraged by leadership until some dumbass records it and posts it to the Internet. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of going along with what you're saying about war is hell kind of thing from a Marine who's been there three times and, and seen this shit go on every day. But at the same time, he's saying... This is the conditioning within the military to encourage this type of dehumanization and to actually reward you with, you know, high fives and call you a man with your first kill. We've heard that multiple times from veterans saying that they were, you know, they were pressured into killing innocent people and getting their first kill. Uh, so this is this is the conditioning going on within the military. And it's really scary. And it breeds this type of despicable behavior. So, I mean, it's the system it doesn't it doesn't remove the the i don't know the guilt from these assholes who did that but it is like it is deeper rooted you know yeah back in vietnam um they did they did studies showing that that a lot of first time soldiers would uh actually purposely shoot over the enemy's heads when they had a clean shot and that was because their natural instinct was against murder when they didn't really have a reason to fight, you know, but the longer they were in the war and the more dehumanized the, the other side would become to them, the easier it was to actually shoot them because then they had a reason, a built up reason to hate, you know, the people they were looking at through the scope. Um, and the key to these wars is they have to be hidden from us. 
we have to dehumanize the enemy to these soldiers so that their job is done just efficiently and quickly as possible with as little remorse as possible. And that's how we do it. And the, the drone war, um, the whole shift to just robotic, you know, aerial bombings is perfect because it's acceptable by people. And it's, it's amazing that the propaganda is still being peddled. Like every, every story that you can think of that's been glorified since the inception of the war on terror, the Jessica Lynch, Pat Tillman. I mean, all these things are blatant falsehoods that have been proven to be completely untrue and manufactured. I mean, flight 93 too. <laughs> that, that's another story, but let's roll. Let's roll baby. Uh, but yeah, I mean the Jessica Lynch, Pat Tillman thing, it's like, these are still, perpetuated i mean tyler and tyler's college classroom his teacher was talking about the jessica lynch like hero the hero of of the war and tyler was just like that's actually not true (laughs) yeah once it's out there it's hard to you can't take it back i mean once the propaganda is saturated and uh, regurgitated everywhere truth comes out later slowly and it's just hard to to retract that what kind of truths are going to come out after the Obama administration? Um, what really happened at that SEAL Team 6 raid, you know, supposedly? What really happened when almost all of the SEAL Team 6 was killed in a helicopter crash about a week later? I mean, there's so many interesting mysteries. And people aren't questioning things as much under Obama that happened like this because it's Obama, you know? Yeah. And the right's not going to question the the factual... Um, of an event. I mean, they're not going to question if we killed Bin Laden or not. I don't know. Uh, New York Times uh, public editor Arthur Brisbane published a column asking if readers should challenge facts that are asserted by the establishment. Really? I mean, he was seriously, you know, putting it out there for his readers. Hey, guys, um, what do you think the job of a newspaper should be? Should we be questioning these assertions made by our leaders it's like wait are you joking (laughs) did you really just write a column asking if your job as journalists should question statements led by the are you i mean come on really and so uh fair.org wrote just like broke it down and it's just like i mean this is what he says he says i'm looking for reader input on whether and when new york times news reporters should challenge facts that are asserted by newsmakers they write about (laughs) and then he just goes on to saying different examples like should we have challenged this should we have challenged that and this woman just makes a point she's like i don't even think brisbane's trying to be cute i i mean this is like legitimately the state of journalism they're actually just like publishing columns asking what's the job of a newspaper it's like a lost child wandering (laughs) what should we do should we be questioning stuff (laughs) oh man it's it's hard to deal with (laughs) yeah uh, so we had a little contrarian argument on our Facebook thread on the Media Roots page once we posted the RT, or no, it was before we even went on RT, but we just posted a link of this story about the, the scandal, this video, because it's very newsworthy. I mean, yeah, there's definitely atrocities going on every day, but it's not every day that you get a viral video that's kind of... Uh, you can't really shut it out because it's viral on the internet. So, you know, as much as the corporate press doesn't want to cover it, they have to. And so that's amazing. I mean, th- yeah, this shit might happen every day, but it's not every day you can get an example on video of it. So that's why it was newsworthy. Um, it's another reality of the war that's going on. And a friend, uh, kind of a friend of mine, uh, Misha, was just like, you know, this is totally sensationalist. Like, pick of the day like i can't believe you guys posted this and it was just like wait 
and no, it's not sensationalist at all. And he was just like, well, you know, they behead people and you can you can equate what they've done like way more gruesome things than, you know, burning bodies and hanging them into in the square of whatever the what was that called i think it, he's talking about the the blackwater contract yeah. being hung from the bridge right and and ba- i mean i'm sure you were reading blackwater jeremy scales book but what the retaliation that blackwater did after that occurred was shocking well, fallujah was the retaliation the fallujah exactly <laughs> i mean they obliterated entire villages fallujah completely destroyed that entire area so I mean, yeah, you want to make a list, we can make a list all day long and start comparing war atrocities. It's the sleight of hand attempt at feeling like you've won a debate by coming in and just drawing this immediate false equivalency to the situation, saying that, well, yeah, well, the the other side is cutting our heads off. So, you know, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's basically just saying two wrongs make a right or... Mm-hmm. Two wrongs make a knot. Don't even worry about it because there's just this shit going on all the time. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's in some ways, I guess that's true, but it's just a very overly general, it's an overgeneralization mm-hmm. of what you're trying to point out that, yeah, this video exists. He was like bending over backwards to try to say, like, try to justify his own point, And you were just like, look, you're trying so hard to legitimize your main point to draw this false equivalency. And you're like, but. You can't get around the fact that it's a disgusting and grotesque thing. End of story. Soldiers urinating on a corpse. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, that. that's what it is. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to look past how disgusting that is. It's worth taking note of and moving forward. I mean, for us to just not cover it is, um, yeah, it, it, it was bizarre. And it just speaks to such a strange desensitization of what, what we find acceptable or what we find even tolerable. Like, I... <laughs> what? No. Next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be like a video of like someone fucking a dead body. And it's going to be like, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, come on, dude. It's just like you would fuck a dead body too. Because of this, Come on, this, dude. This. They killed 3,000 Americans, dude. It's like, remember 9 11? Hello? Yeah, where were you when 9 11 happened? Why wouldn't you skull fuck that Arab? <laughs> didn't you, you hear of 9 11? Did? Didn't you know what Arabs did to us? Like, just like generalizing the entire race of people. Oh, Christ. Uh, my God. Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, it's just so interesting. I was reading the the comment thread uh, of the video. A lot of people pointed out, like we said prior, that there's like a couple wheelbarrows and it looked like there was a lot of farming equipment next to the corpses. I mean, it's just, it's funny because it's just so outrageous. Hello. Um, were these people even insurgents? I guess we'll never know because they're dead. So it's like, yeah, I mean, anyone who you just kill, it's just like, well, they were insurgents, dude. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's like the old West, you know? You kill someone, throw a gun in their hand, and the sheriff, you know, will kind of wink his eye and say, hey. <laughs> we were just watching Fox News before doing this show, and I rarely watch Fox News. I know Robbie likes to get a little more enjoyment out of, uh, you know, watching oh, yeah. neocon propaganda, but uh, I do enjoy <laughs> it also, and I mean, I, I couldn't help but just get sucked into the Bill O'Reilly show, and it was so shocking. My brother pointed out something that I never even really noticed, like the most blatant form of propaganda ever used by a corporate news entity while Bill O'Reilly's talking to you. First of all, he's talking in this like condescending tone to like a child and saying <laughs> these talking points. And as he's speaking, like the captions of every word that he says, like shows up next to him in a little box. Like if you're a visual learner, you're an audio learner, like, yeah. like reaching every orbit. It's like a kindergartner's <laughs> form of like 
government propaganda or something. It's very funny. It was really bizarre. Child, very childlike. Also, Shepard Smith looks very gaunt. Um, oh, yeah. Martin Luther King Day was a few days ago. And there's just been a lot of people praising Martin Luther King, making platitudes towards him and stuff. And it seems like it's kind of mainstream knowledge now that people know that Martin Luther King was shifting away from race focused civil rights to our foreign policy and poverty as a problem in America. His He started to get character assassinated. The New York Times, the Washington Post, both almost kind of Without using the word uppity, he said that he was he was doing a disservice to his people by stepping outside the confines of what he did best. And they kind of made it sound like he shouldn't be speaking to issues like American foreign policy because he's like out of his league or something. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, right shortly before he got killed. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. The historical revisionism about Martin Luther King in general. Like when I when I grew up, I didn't really you heard about. You know, you heard about his anti-Vietnam stance, really, but it really wasn't highlighted as a pillar of his uh, rhetoric at all. It was mostly just civil rights stuff. I mean, I barely heard about him being that prominent of an anti-war activist. And, uh, you know, you, you come to find out that that was like his main thing that he was going toward. And the stuff that he says is just so prolific. I mean, he was such an amazing philosopher. Just everything he said was just beautiful. It was like poetry. And I just wish we had someone like that today. My favorite quote from him of all time just rings so true. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. It's just, I mean, what what better encapsulates this nation than that statement right there? Every year, cutting cutting social services over and over again, totally disemboweling education, <laughs> everything and then uh you know you just see the military just bolstered up exponentially over and over creating these these false enemies to try to justify the spending and the growth i mean it's just amazing that he just called it so long ago and it's just he would be rolling in his fucking grave i mean he was 39 years old when he was assassinated it's so tragic another great quote he said i refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. So, you know, it's it's just an amazing thing that he was just so hopeful and so at peace with his position because he just had so much faith in humanity that we could pull things forward. <laughs> I remember there was this TV clip. I think you, maybe you had it on Media Roots for the last Martin Luther King Day or maybe the one before that, actually. It was a clip of Martin Luther King on some sort of TV talk show with a panel and some guy said... Don't you think you're doing a disservice to the to the other Negroes out there who are proudly fighting in this bravely in this war? Martin Luther King was like, no. He kind of, you know, he it was like one of the first times you'd probably see on TV the talking point in a different form that don't you support the troops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, the other he Negroes was just like he. Then he Jesus. kind of tried to explain in a very eloquent way why you can distinguish. You can even oppose a war and be in the war because you're drafted. I mean, you didn't have a choice back then. Yeah. So he was just like, well, actually, a lot of these people <laughs> yeah. were yeah. drafted, that's and then and the, just because you, I mean, it's there's it's not that it's not that oversimplified, and that's just a, a way to discredit, you know, right. someone with the truth. Yeah, was, he was, that was a saying. great interview because it showed just how racist people were. I mean, this was the '60s, and people were just like. 
it's just amazing just to hear the the word negro be thrown around like that it's just so commonplace it's very uh it's pretty startling yeah even even the read the um what was his actual vietnam war speech called do you know the name of it Well, I'm sure if you look up on Google Vietnam War. Vietnam War speech. It's tw- it's like 20 minutes long. Yeah, we just, have it on the front page of Media Roots right now. We'll link to it on the timeline. That's an excellent speech. And and that's where you hear the quote, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. That comes from that Vietnam speech. And he's talking, he follows up to the quote by saying, in relation to Vietnam, you know, this is, this is what this means. <clears throat> and it's just amazing that he was so, so against the military industrial complex and what's going on. And we just don't hear that aspect of him, really, that he was extremely against the militarism and the imperialism of the U.S. And we'd like to call the New York Times a liberal paper. And if you read their response to his Vietnam War speech and the Washington Post's response, you'll just see how racist it is and the way that they're talking about him. And I love this. He's a really prolific quote. Sorry, I keep reading uh, quotes from MLK, but they're just so damn good. And this quote, to me really rang true when we saw the bloodbath celebration after bin Laden and Gaddafi and all these like disgusting acts of celebration celebrating death and murder without due process of these people that you know the, the government claims x x must be true and celebrate and, and bathe in blood and it was just a really really amazing quote that I saw around that time that said darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that. So it's just like, what are we just teaching society? I mean, the conditioning to just celebrate and dehumanize the enemy and to just devalue life, not give people rights. I mean, there was no proof. First of all, there's no proof that bin Laden was responsible for 9-11. We never held anyone on trial. What happened to the rule of law? I mean, it's so desecrated. It's a war, Abby. This is a battle. <laughs> the war is wor- hell. The world is, is a is battlefield. <laughs> yeah. I love all these little buzzwords that just like... <laughs> Are designed to just like, just you dumb like you shut down. down any yeah, argument. You're just, just like, like well, shut down now. brain. <laughs> oh man, it's just when it comes down to these these things that just feel like people just parrot these these talking points they hear, and it's just really frustrating. <laughs> it is. That's why you know. That's why we're around, and that's why we hope people are also combating conventional wisdom in their everyday life, just with people they encounter and. You know, that's what we got to do. It's grassroots, baby. I mean, this is an information war. It's really where the war is at, is in our minds. Yeah. <laughs> the war is in your mind. And I don't think people should, you know, a lot of people in in our realm, I think, are a little bit too lockstep behind Ron Paul, too. And I think that that, you know, just just don't put your faith in a, in a presidential candidate. Don't let your energy and your the feelings you have take a back seat because you think Ron Paul is going to change the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And that's the most important thing to take away, to not feel completely hopeless. I mean, Ron Paul is not going to get the nomination. If he does, it would be a miracle. We know they have voting software. We covered this in our last episode, but it can flip the vote anyway. The Electoral College is such a joke. I mean, it, it's just the whole thing is such a sham. And to get wrapped up that much in a candidate is is wrong and it's misguided because you need to vote. Everything you do on a day-to-day basis is voting. The companies you you decide to support, uh, the stores that you decide to purchase goods at, um, the gas that you buy, 
you know, the the websites you visit online. All these things are ways that you can vote every day without getting wrapped up every four years and hoping, you know, hoping for change. Look at how fucking far that got us. So don't count on Ron Paul to change everything because you're just going to get really disappointed and really disillusioned. And that's that's exactly what the establishment wants with this federal election dog and pony show is they want everyone to get wrapped up. That's why they just focus two years out of every four year election focused on on the primaries and then the election run up. It's just such a joke. It's like just give Obama the re just put Obama in for another four years and just save the billion dollars. And let's just save everyone the fucking time and cover the real issues that are going on. I mean, I don't really want that to happen. Obviously, I don't want him to get reelected. He's a warmongering it'll just, imperialist, but... It'll stop the distraction. Yeah, it's just like, you know, my point is that it's just such a distraction. I mean, it's just insane to me. But yeah, yeah it, it, Ron Paul supporters really... Uh, I love Ron Paul for for his stance on foreign policy and civil liberties, um, but, you know, you can't put all your faith in him. He's only one person, and he can only do so much... Yeah, just don't not have, even do that. Just don't have faith in a in a man that you don't know. You know, I mean, that's all. That's all I can say. Really say about that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the the covert war. Oh wait, before we get into that, uh, Glenn Beck was on Fox News on the Bill O'Reilly show right before we came up here, and he was saying talking about Ron Paul, and he was just like, Ron Paul needs to shh. Ron Paul just needs to shh. <laughs> And he was like, he's kind of sounded like a little bit like Bin Laden when he talks about foreign policy. He just needs to shh. <laughs> yeah. Comparing him to Bin Laden talking about foreign policy. Hmm. So on top of the thousands of troops that Obama has deployed to, to help train the Israeli army into these drills for a potential standoff with Iran, we're also engaging in multiple other facets of covert warfare against the country as we speak right now. The CIA is on the ground in Iran, uh, taking out nuclear scientists, murdering nuclear scientists, something that was talked about a couple years ago and there was a big uproar about it. How dare you say that this is an idea that should be entertained, murdering people? you know, that's involved in Iran's nuclear program. And it's just like, well, Glenn Greenwald wrote an article. It was just like, well, now we're doing it and no one's talking about it. Now it's actually happening. <laughs> you know, where's the outrage now? Yeah. The U S government vehemently denied that they did it. Israel released a response that was basically implying that they had something to do with it. And it's just, uh, yeah, we're trying to do something with Iran. I don't know how that's going to end up. That might even be a distraction, too. Who mm-hmm. really knows? I mean, like you were saying, the election, you know, you wish the distraction was over, but then it'll just be replaced by another distraction. Mm-hmm. Think of how many times during the year, or not the year, but Obama's term, that so many exciting, um, not so many, but WikiLeaks mm-hmm. was a very exciting event in like and and for freedom in general, just just this breakthrough almost, and then that kind of faded away. The distraction was that Julian Assange was a rapist, and then we don't hear about it anymore. Um, and they're running out of money, and you know they don't really have the the resources they used to to do what they did. Um, and then the Occupy Wall Street movement. I mean, the media only covered that because they had to, and then another distraction distracted everybody from that. Um, and I think that that's it's the Obama administration is going to have to contend with that building. Things are building. There's a lot of emotions and anti-government resentment mm-hmm. still building. 
I mean, it's not going to go away. And and if he wins the next election, he's going to have to contend with that. <laughs> I just wanted to read an excerpt from this Glenn Greenwald article about the Iran you know, taking out these Iranian nuclear scientists. He just says, several days ago, I referenced a controversy that arose in 2007 when, when the law professor Glenn Reynolds criticized President Bush for not doing enough to stop Iran's nuclear program and then advocated that the U.S. respond by murdering the nation's religious leaders and nuclear scientists. The backlash against Reynolds was intense, especially among progressive writers. Um, back then, Greenwald says he wrote about Reynolds' suggestions se- several times. Also, you know, joined with a bunch of other people denouncing him for publicly advocating murder, essentially. And then he just says, you know, he goes on and on to say that there's just so many people who are coming out saying how, you know, insane it was. It was hate speech. You're advocating murder. But now Greenwald says... I imagine a lot of people agree with Reynolds, but his recommendation really demonstrates the moral knot caused by George Bush's insistence that we're fighting a war on terror. After all, killing civilian scientists and civilian leaders, even if you do it quietly, is unquestionably terrorism. That's certainly what we'd consider if Hezbollah fighters tried to kill cabinet undersecretaries and planted bombs at the homes of Los Alamos engineers. If you think Iran is a mortal enemy that needs to be dealt with via military force, you can make that case. But if you're going to claim that terrorism is a barbaric tactic that has to be stamped out, you can hardly endorse its use by the United States just because it's convenient. Once again, he just perfectly articulates how absurd it is that where's the outrage that we're actually covertly taking out murdering people? The CIA Mm -hmm. is on the ground doing this. And, you know, how can we claim that that isn't terrorism in itself? No, there's no question that it is. Um, You know, it sounds redundant to even call it that because it is. It's like so obvious. I mean, if you're using the same definition that, you know, we throw around or whatever. But what's interesting, I just I was just thinking, you know, the the rebranding effort that was put into the American empire with Obama. I think that he won like all these first prizes and all these like a marketing awards because of the (laughs) the campaign was one of the best marketing campaigns Mm -hmm. ever. Um, his presidential campaign. And I, and I honestly believe that what the CIA has effectively done is they have rebranded what they do as something that we should be proud of. Right. Because this is stuff they've been doing since the OSS, since mm-hmm. they weren't even called the CIA. But now it's like all their unfinished business, all the countries they haven't already obliterated and gone into and done this to the middle East, which is kind of like the last bastion of now they're just cleaning up the mess that they didn't finish. And it's like now, but the war on terror was the way to rebrand the CIA as something that we absolutely need to protect us. And And all these, this thing, the dirty tricks that the CIA was always trying to hide before assassinations, kidnappings, torture, Mm -hmm. that's all, that we need to do that now. That it's the rebranding. Well, isn't it amazing? I, I'm thinking about this as you're talking about the CIA. How the CIA is a like an entity that has a black budget. It's kind of like this elusive organization that we all know is part of the United States, but it's almost like people can't comprehend what it actually does. It's like everyone jokes about it, like, oh, well, you know, that's the CIA. It's like movies are made about them taking out people and assassinating people and torturing and going and and, and st- you know, overthrowing leaders in, in different countries and stuff. That's all real. The CIA does that. I don't, it's like people have almost like a cognitive dissonance to acknowledge the fact that we're actually sponsoring this organization. It's not like some separate entity that's just floating around. We pay for it. 
you know, this is this is an organization that we, the United States, is sponsoring that that goes around the world and does does this and interferes with almost every country's that isn't completely on par with the United States imperialist agenda. We go in and and you know do whatever we need to do to keep them in line. I I just I feel like if you break that down, no one really agrees with that. Like everyone would just be like, "Whoa, that's so fucked up," you know. Of course. Of course, that shouldn't be happening. It's like everyone just acknowledges that the CIA kind of is this necessary entity. You know, a lot of people trust in the system. Like they're like, okay, well, we don't really know what they do, but they must have Mm -hmm. our best interests in in mind. And, and, you know, the CIA probably does a lot of bad, like dirty stuff. But overall, they have like America's security interests in mind. It's Yeah. I dated someone in college whose dad was a CIA agent and he like... It was like such a big deal for him to like tell me it, and I was just like, "This is so weird." I was like, "How how was it growing up in a family where your dad was like part of the CIA?" And he just said it was horrible. It was like full of lies and deceit, and like I was just like, "This is a horrible thing." Like, why? I don't know. Just the fact that there's like these CIA spies who assassinate people, like trained spies that go around and interfere with democratically, you know, democratic countries and sovereign nations this is this should not be allowed like i i don't know it's pretty crazy um but in you know in conjunction with us taking out nuclear scientists in iran deploying thousands of troops to israel surrounding iran and afghanistan and iraq and pakistan now um russia today reported how it Mossad intelligence officers posed as CIA agents in order to recruit and train Iranian terrorists. So once again, you see the CIA working in conjunction with the Mossad to train and and recruit terrorists so we can justify another front of the war on terror and just say like, see, like we need to go in Iran. (laughs) Like We're there on the ground, just like we are in Afghanistan, recruiting Taliban, paying them. That's fact. We'll link to it on the timeline. We've actually been paying the Taliban to switch sides. That's what we say the money is going to so we can get them on our side. Yeah, that works. That's a great tactic because um, that doesn't mean that they're just taking the money and using it to try to f- like keep the war in perpetuity. That's really intelligent. It's like a child could look at that and be like, no, don't do that. Don't give money to the enemy. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. Well, they probably, I mean, they probably know that it's like not really the enemy. is oh, not yeah. as binary as they make it out to be. Yeah. So now, you know, we're, we're on the ground now recruiting terrorists, but our quote unquote terrorists, whatever the hell that term even means anymore. So that, that's what's happening right now. And with Leon Panetta, the U.S. defense secretary came out. And said on camera, and we'll link, we're going to actually play this clip right now, where he says that Iran's not trying to build nuclear weapons. I think the pressure of the sanctions, I think the pressure of uh, diplomatic pressures from everywhere, Europe, the United States, elsewhere, uh, is working to put pressure on them, to make them understand that they cannot continue to do what they're doing. Uh, are they uh, trying to develop a nuclear weapon? Uh, no, but we know that they're trying to develop a nuclear capability. And that's what concerns us. And our red line to Iran is do not develop a nuclear weapon. That's a red line for us. Could we, if we had to, without using nuclear weapons ourselves, take out their their nuclear capability? Well, I certainly want them to believe that that's the case. Well, is it? I absolutely want them to believe that that's the case. <laughs> Secretary, would you like to add anything to that? I, I think uh, they need to know that... Uh, that if they take that step, uh, that they're going to get stopped. 
Uh, what would happen if Israel does decide to take this matter into its own hands, and what would be our reaction and response to that? I think I, you know, our preference is that the, the international community, including Israel, ought to work together on this issue. Uh, we, face, we, we have common cause here. Uh, we're not interested in them developing a nuclear weapon. We are not interested in them uh, proliferating uh, violence throughout that uh, region. We are not interested in them uh, trying to assist in terrorism. We are not interested in them trying to destabilize governments uh, in that region or any place else. We have common cause here. And the better approach is for us to work together and not act But what if the Israelis did that? If, if the, the Israelis uh, made that decision, we would have to be prepared to uh, protect our forces in that situation. And that's what we'd be concerned about. So the biggest thing going on today, January 18th, uh, 2012, is the Stop Online Piracy Act uh, going on in Congress right now. It's, it's now on hold, but it doesn't mean that PIPA can't go through, which is the Protect IP Act, and that's the Senate sister act of uh, SOPA. So the reason why this is such a concern, or should be such a concern for everyone who's an internet user and who's listening to this broadcast especially, is that Media Roots is a prime example of the targeted sites under the overarching legislation if this is indeed passed. And Obama, yeah, Obama's come out and said he doesn't support the current bill as it stands, but he also said that he would support similar legislation in the future if it was redrafted. So this is just going to be revised it's going to be in different language just like the ndaa was slowly slipped into that provision of the of the national defense bill so uh it's extremely scary because what it says there's already copyright laws on the books um yeah it's definitely a problem for the music industry and stuff but it's also what every news aggregate especially small sites like media roots i pull in copyrighted material every day because i quote it i reference it and that's called fair use. Uh, I'm able to do that under a bylaw called fair use, uh, which gives you the right to copy copyrighted material portions of it if you are using it for nonprofit educational purposes, which we are, um, and if you are using a portion of it to educate, to comment on, to use it to highlight a point that you're making. Um, the distinction between fair use and infringement is an unclear and not easily defined. There's no set word count. There's no set paragraph amount. Uh, so it's really, you know, it's kind of open-ended, and that's why it's so scary for me running Media Roots. This is, you know, when I first started this, I really was unaware of fair use or anything or copyright or anything. I just thought that I could paste, <laughs> copy and paste full articles and take images offline. I thought everything was just kind of like... You know, you can do whatever you want. And then I, you know, kind of shockingly realized that I could be shut down and sued really easily for doing that. And so I had to revamp the entire site and change every single article that I'd already put up to limit to this. You know, I, I usually use three paragraphs and then I always put some sort of commentary before it to put it in some sort of context. And that's fair use. What SOPA does is it, it will, anyone who either is hosting copyrighted material or even links back to a website that is can be taken down shut down by different web giants uh, and cable you know ip hosts it's like kind of like a wag the dog style law because already these places um have rules against copyright 
but it's usually to protect their own ass. So like a lot of web server hosting companies will explicitly say that you can't violate copyright on them or they will remove your content. But this gives the federal government like an overarching, uh, you know, hammer to come down on basically. I mean, look at what happened to WikiLeaks. It's going to be political enemies. Um, and they're just going to use it to get rid of either competitive corporations or they're going to use it to make an example out of somebody to scare everybody else. You know, I mean, it's, they're not trying to get, you know, they're not trying to recover their lost funds this way or anything. They're just trying to get more power. Yeah, exactly. Democracy Now! did an interview with the director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation who said, quote, the major problem is that they're written, both laws, uh, to be overly broad and they're written to favor the rights holders, of course. And so they allow a thing called a private right of action, which means that someone who believes that a website is intended for or allows the distribution of copyrighted material can go directly to that website's ad networks or payment processors and cut them off from revenue sources or just cut them off entirely, meaning shut them down. <clears throat> so it's it's just a huge power grab for cable companies. I mean, it's just it's a complete outright assault on net neutrality. Yep. And I'm sure there's some wording in this bill, too, that that opens it up to, you know, I I don't know about WikiLeaks, but I mean, all Joe Lieberman had to do was call Amazon.com and tell them that it'd be like the smart thing to do to take down their website. And they did. They took down not Amazon.com, the store, but Amazon web hosting took down WikiLeaks at the request of a congressman. Yeah. And then we saw PayPal blocking payments to WikiLeaks, too. You know, these corporations are getting politi- like getting involved in political battles, and it's really a terrifying precedent. There's a website called The Verge that wrote a great breakdown of SOPA and PIPA. It's a funny little name. But it just says, here's what the government can do to, to websites under the, even the most narrow reading of SOPA Section 102 and PIPA Section 3. Number one, they can order Internet service providers to alter their DNS servers from resolving the domain names that host... You know, or even link back to illegal copies of videos, songs, photos. Number two, order search engines like Google to modify search results to exclude these websites. Three, order payment providers like a PayPal to shut down the payments that link back to the websites. And, you know, order ad servers like Google AdWords, etc. to shut down the payment processes with, with the websites. But if they wanted to, they could just ha- put the hammer down and use this as a, an excuse. And that's what's so scary about it. Yeah, it's under the guise of pir- you know, stopping online piracy. But it's just, you know, it's a, just an egregious power grab that can be used and manipulated to take away our free speech online. It's really scary. And, and talk about the guy who drafted the, the bill, Robbie. Lamar Smith, um, the guy who, I guess, originated uh, this bill... He, on his own website, um, he violated copyright by hosting an image as the background on his website of these, like, really nice-looking autumn trees, kind of gold and green and red, like, really, really good-looking picture. Um, Happened to be a copyrighted image by a photographer, and Vice Magazine asked the photographer, hey, did you let this guy use your image? And the guy was like, no. Like, maybe I'll, when when SOPA, if SOPA's passed, I'll use the legislation to uh, (laughs) to shut down his website. (laughs) Yeah, like that would ever happen. Um, the whole thing with the way copyright is enforced right now online, um, with things like YouTube and SoundCloud.com, where you actually upload something, and if it even has a snippet of copyrighted audio material 
or copyrighted video material that they already have in their database, it will just automatically reject your upload and say, mm-hmm. this clip includes, you know, this copyrighted segment from Viacom International. You cannot upload it. So the only people being protected against copyright infringement are the people with the most power. Mm-hmm. And they are the, really the ones who need it the least. I mean, to me, the people who really need advocacy as far as piracy goes, um, like anti-piracy advocacy are people like independent musicians and independent filmmakers who rely on small little bits of money to get you know to make any income off their work piracy is a problem for certain people but for these big corporations like viacom i mean they the reason why they're suffering so much or they act like they are is because they just were behind the curve they didn't they reacted very slowly to the digital age of streaming video and the way that stuff is distributed on the internet and it's ultimately their fault yeah, it show, it's like to me it's like on one hand it's an extreme act of desperation because we see how the, the failed attempts we see how much they're losing with record sales i mean not that much they're still making i mean it's a billion dollar industry but yeah people are turning to mp3s and they keep trying to pick these sacrificial lambs to hold up on a pedestal and try to use them as an example to say like don't download music or you could end up like this person and you know pick one person at random who downloads an mp3 and make them you know put throw a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit on them i mean yep so they're really desperate and then they're also extremely out of touch all these old lawmakers are not they're clearly not in tune with the internet culture like there's companies like apple who um, they still use what's called digital rights management on the files you download from iTunes store. And that means that you ha- you're you limited to where you can distribute those files. It's not like an MP3 or another kind of digital file you download where you have the freedom to copy it as many times as you want. Um, and it's kind of ironic that Apple's so protective of its copyrighted material that they sell. Um, but, I mean, if you think about it, Apple is, I'd say, in a large part responsible for bringing into play the whole mp3 revolution and mp3s mostly it's at first were was bootlegged music you know so-called stolen music and apple made a lot of money off of that and now they're they still have digital rights management on their own store that's just kind of hypocritical to me so i was talking about how i wish there had been this big of a protest against the the attempts to stop wikileaks like there is on the internet right now for sopa which is a great sign because it seems like things are just getting bigger and bigger. Like the NDAA pushback was pretty big online, much bigger than any other thing I've seen so far against Obama. And um, and so he, this guy was agreeing with me that WikiLeaks was a bigger issue. And he says, but WikiLeaks, but shutting down WikiLeaks doesn't affect your ability to download the latest Transformers movie or watch a streaming episode of Two and a Half Men. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean. And I, I hate to be cynical, but I do think that a lot of people want, still want to be able to download a lot of stuff illegally, you know, or whatever. And that's fine. I mean, I, I don't, you know, it's just like people bootlegging tapes, you know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Well, really hackers don't. are always going to find a way to bootleg and to get copyrighted stuff. This, to me, is just an assault on exact websites like Media Roots where we don't have a law team behind us. We don't have the finances to fight if our website did get taken down, it would just be like a black mark that it never existed. It's like 
hackers are always going to be there. That's that's the nature of the internet. And you know? bootleggers, and people bootleggers, people yeah. who don't buy things, who will go to great lengths to find them, you know, find illegal copies of them. I mean, people did it in the day, the age of VHS and WikiLeaks and Google are taking part in this in this protest against SOPA and WikiLeaks. I mean, sorry. <laughs> whoops. I meant. Google and Wikipedia, are t- Wikipedia has blacked out their website uh, for the day. It makes me realize how much we rely on Wikipedia. I mean, I even go to it several times a day to look stuff up. It's just, it's the first Google ranking on most things you search now is the Wikipedia link. Uh, so, yeah, we, you know, we, yeah, we we've got to start so looking elsewhere. on Wikipedia. And the thing about Wikipedia is that it, you could change it. You could change it at any time and it won't, you know, the changes will still be there like for days. It, it takes a moderator to go through and realize that it was been edited and try to verify that, you know, verify it by whom, verify it by like the amount of people that agree with that mentality, change it to whatever they think the conventional wisdom is. I mean, pretty much if you look at like 9-11, for example, you know, even though there's a massive movement the 9-11 truth movement that exists on the planet that's gaining thousands of followers daily, they still have a very marginal section for 9-11 truth on the 9-11 page and just link back to it like, oh yeah, and there's some kooks who believe alternate theories. And then when you go to the page, of course, it barely gives credence to the thousands of architects and engineers and scientists and pilots and et cetera, et cetera. It just kind of marginalizes all of us and makes it seem like we're a total fringe group. So... That's just an example of censorship going on in Wikipedia. It's great that Wikipedia is blacking out and and doing this. Yeah, we definitely rely way too much on it. Uh, They definitely censor. They definitely... And it's also not reliable. You can go on and get and and copy a fact, and it won't even necessarily be true because anyone could have changed it at any given time, and you might not be looking at the right thing. So always double-check stuff that you get off Wikipedia. And I was looking at the Twitter uh, trending topics last night. SOPA blackout was one of them, which is great. It's great that people are on Twitter and and talking about it. But it was funny the amount of people that had no idea what SOPA was and to see people, like, had talking about Wikipedia. And they're just like, dude, what the fuck? Wikipedia is down. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do my homework? I'm trying to, like, do shit. Like, why is Wikipedia down? What the hell is going on? What What's SOAP? What's SOAP? How come Wikipedia is against SOAP? It's just like, oh, my God. It's just funny that kids, like, don't know what to do if Wikipedia isn't there to do homework. Like, what are they just taking just excerpts and plagiarizing directly from Wikipedia? It's like, dude, you're going to have to do a little bit more work than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. Um we can't, yeah, we just can't rely on what's what's going to happen next, you know, when they put a provision in another bill that kind of does the same thing, spells out the same thing as SOPA. Is Wikipedia and Google going to step up or is it just going to kind of go under the radar? When things like this big happen, it makes me feel like once once things settle down, that's when they're really going to, you know, learn from their mistakes and kind of redraft and rebrand it. Yeah, they'll try it. There's going to be another push to bring it back in. Absolutely. Wikipedia. Um, yeah, the reason why I, I have issues with it is because any subject on it that has any sort of controversial nature to it or that's dis- among dispute among the public, um, you always get a very status quo, very centrist, like carefully worded version of what happened on Wikipedia for for look up George W. Bush on Wikipedia and you'll see what I mean. Or look up, um, you know, like 
contentious events that happened recently. Like look up the uh, the flotilla attack um, on Wikipedia, and you'll see you'll just see the way that people are trying to force their agenda onto it. And it's not just single editors because on popular articles like that, where there are a lot of people editing every day, they'll catch an obvious like you know if you just want to say like someone's an alien or make like a joke on it, they will they'll remove that. What bothers me more is that there's people on it who it's just whoever spends the most time on it on Wikipedia editing a certain article. And the more people you get to follow along with the way you want to edit it, then you just then you'll win. You'll just, it'll just be the agenda that you wanted to have on it. You can you can read the debates and discussions on Wikipedia pages like this to see how much disagreement there is and what they choose not to put in articles and why. And oftentimes it's because of biases. I mean, most of the time it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is just propping up the conventional wisdom. You know, it peddles the same propaganda that you'd find in a, in a lot of different outlets. So it's always good to recognize that and keep that in mind. My friend Peter, who ran the, co-ran the 9-11 Truth Group with me in San Diego, had a great idea. He really wanted to launch, like, a new Wikipedia, but for arguments. Like, to have an argument and to have, like, a counter-argument and to have people tag your logical fallacies and like help like administer or moderate the, the argument and try to like call people out and have like a very factual debate style like on wikipedia where people can be admins and like i wish that we had something like that like that people could learn real time and work on how to debate without falling into those you know logical traps like that we wanted to wrap up this show just by talking about how just broken Obama as a person. It's just like, it's just so sad. I mean, it's not sad. It's just strange to see him so downtrodden and, and like, he doesn't even want to be there. He doesn't even want to be doing what he's doing. And, uh, I was watching the news the other day and I saw like every, the beginning of every news show, they played the same clip from an interview with Michelle Obama at the white house where they just kept quoting her saying, I'm not some angry black woman. And they just kept like replaying it at the top of the hour every hour. I was just like, why is this a news story? And why are you like perpetuating this weird, uh, like racist undertones? Like, why is that? I don't know. It was really strange that they picked that and they kept playing it over and over again. But then they ended up, I ended up watching a little bit of the interview and she just seemed so soulless. Like they just, they just seem like such unhappy, soulless people who just like wholeheartedly regret even being there. Like she was just walking around and the reporter was just like, so do you live in a bubble here? And she's like, of course we live in a bubble. And she was like, so what do you guys do for dates? She's like, the only thing we do for dates is watch movies in here. And she's like, that's the only time we spend together. It's like, it's all very depressing and weird. I do think he didn't realize just how awful the job of being president would be. And he's suffering the consequences of it. And he's just, as far as being a presidential president, not even talking about any of his generic, or sorry, not talking about any of his policy positions, which we talk about a lot on the show, but just talking about him from a generic PR presidential perspective. He said he was going to veto NDAA, and then he signed it. Explain yourself, you know, confront the American people and explain it. Like, he, he doesn't speak to the American people in a way that seems like he's confident in what he's doing at all and it's all together just seems like he's having a horrible time which i guess (laughs) gives credence to the other argument that people use to excuse his inaction by just saying like well he's surrounded by a lot of people that he's like trying to please 
you know, the impotent presidency. That he's just like, he doesn't know what to do. He's in over his head. So, I don't know. Well, maybe that's why he was chosen to run is because the people who coddled him and and groomed him saw the uh, exploited the weakness inside of him, which, you know, he's a very intelligent seeming guy. He's very well educated Harvard law professor, but he's managed to become a complete and utter puppet for the American empire. And that's, and I think even more so than Bush, I mean, not saying that Bush was any better, but I'm saying that Bush was, he came from that stock of, royalty and he was raised in it obama was groomed to be in it mm-hmm. it's, it's it creates a different dynamic and it's it's hard to explain yeah the ndaa is so shocking that obama signed that and then his sign, signing statement that he released saying that he would never use it he would never abuse it well that's all well and good man but you're not going to be president forever and that's a huge problem. So it doesn't really matter. It's actually perfect that you're even saying that because it makes people trust you and think like, oh, we can trust Obama. He's not going to abuse it. It's like, dude, we don't have a dictator here. Like, oh, we kind of do. We have a two-party two dictatorship. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, seats being changed at the Titanic deck. And Obama's not going to be president forever. He might not be president even next year. So to use that as an excuse and to get away with that is completely outrageous. It means nothing. You know, when shit hits the fan, yeah, that, that provision is in there for a reason. And I don't, I'm just scared to find out what that reason is. Sorry <laughs> to end we don't the find show out. on such a horrible, <laughs> depressing note. Uh, See you later folks. <laughs> Have a good night. On a lighter note, uh, it's amazing that this many websites are, you know, getting involved and that this many people, some of my friends that I didn't even think knew about any sort of pieces of legislation ever have like changed their little profile picture. I know that doesn't really mean much, but to say stop SOPA and are talking about it and the dialogue is happening. People understand that this is an attack. They understand what's going on. They're waking up to it. And hopefully this it took something like this to get people to wake up that there is a battle that we need to protect and, and instill net neutrality. And so it's very hopeful to see this many people getting involved. It's really great. And like you said, the backlash against the NDAA, that was great too. We just gotta keep we gotta keep it going. We gotta keep the momentum going. We still have a lot of Occupy Wall Street momentum. Uh, there's a big action tomorrow in San Francisco that I'm gonna go cover and uh, report in with Project Censored and KPFA about that. So I'll, I'll give you guys an update on what's going on. But there's still a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of anger, and we have to reach out to each other and channel that and start brainstorming on how we can be productive and how we can win this fight, you guys, the information fight. But yeah, it was funny. Two power outages yesterday in two different cities made me realize how completely and utterly helpless human beings are without electricity. So... My brother and I were just talking. We want to get like a crank light and just a basic kit to deal with something. If you know, if something were indeed to go down, it's good to have an emergency plan. Like, if your cell phone doesn't work, if you can't get online, have some sort of plan to connect with your friends and family, a meeting place, and something at least a generator or some sort of crank light or something that you can use if you don't have electricity. So, those are all good things to think about. And 
keep supporting Media Roots, I wanted to give a shout out to Robert Baker, who has donated in the past, and he's an awesome guy, and he's been supporting Media Roots. I really thank you, Robert, for all your support and help with the site. Donations keep this broadcast going. We're now registered 501c3 nonprofit under the Media Freedom and Project Censored organizations, and every $40 tax-deductible donation gets your choice of artwork, music, or a free Media Roots t-shirt that we just printed and they're awesome highly recommend getting one so they're they're up on the site now check it out and go to meteorites.org go to our timeline to check out all the articles music that we've been playing and referencing on the show thanks so much for listening you guys we'll come back with a killer episode about world war ii we're doing it in two parts and it's going to be epic so stay tuned for that thanks for listening have a good night let me start here uh this is a hand-lettered sign that appeared in a mom-and-pop bakery in my old neighborhood in Brooklyn a few years ago. The store owned one of those machines that can print on plates of sugar, and kids could bring in drawings and have the store print a sugar plate for the top of their birthday cake. But unfortunately, one of the things kids liked to draw was cartoon characters. They liked to draw the Little Mermaid, they'd like to draw Smurf, they'd like to draw Mickey Mouse. But it turns out to be illegal to print a child's drawing of Mickey Mouse onto a plate of sugar. And it's a copyright violation. And policing copyright violations for children's birthday cakes was such a hassle that the college bakery said, you know what, we're getting out of that business. If you're an amateur, you don't have access to our machine anymore. If you want a printed sugar birthday cake, you have to use one of our prefab images only for profession. So there's two bills in Congress right now. One is called SOPA, the other is called PIPA. SOPA stands for the Stop Online Piracy Act, it's from the Senate. PIPA is short for Protect IP, which is itself short for Preventing Real Online Threats to Economic Creativity and Theft of Intellectual Property, because the congressional aides who name these things have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> and what SOPA and PIPA want to do is they want to do this. They want to raise the cost of copyright compliance to the point where people simply get out of the business of offering it as a capability to amateurs. Now, the way they propose to do this is to identify sites that are substantially infringing on copyright, although how those sites are identified is never fully specified in the bills. And then they want to remove them from the domain name system. They want to take them out of the domain name system. Now, the domain name system is the thing that turns human-readable names, like Google.com, into the, the kinds of addresses machines expect, 74.125.226.212. Now, the problem with this model of censorship, of identifying a site and then trying to remove it from the domain name system, is that it won't work. And you'd think that would be a pretty big problem for a law, but Congress seems not to have let that bother them too much. Now, the reason it won't work is that you can still type 74.125.226.212 into the browser, or you can make it a clickable link, and you'll still go to Google. So the policing layer around the problem becomes the real threat of the app. Now, to understand how Congress came to write a bill that won't accomplish its stated goals but will produce a lot of pernicious side effects, you have to understand a little bit about the backstory. And the backstory is this. SOPA and PIP, as legislation, were draft drafted largely by media companies that were founded in the 20th century. 
the 20th century was a great time to be a media company because the thing you really had on your side was scarcity. If you were making a TV show, it didn't have to be better than all other TV shows ever made. It only had to be better than the two other shows that were on at the same time, which is a very low threshold of competitive difficulty, which meant that if you fielded average content, you got a third of the US public for free, tens of millions of users for simply doing something that wasn't too terrible. This is like having a license to print money and a barrel of free ink. But technology moved on, as technology is wont to do, and slowly, slowly, at the end of the 20th century, that scarcity started to get eroded. And I don't mean by digital technology, I mean by analog technology. Cassette tapes, video cassette recorders, even the humble Xerox machine created new opportunities for us to behave in ways that astonished the media business, because it turned out we're not really couch potatoes. We don't really like to only consume. We do like to consume, but every time one of these new tools came along, it turned out we also like to produce and we like to share. And this freaked the media businesses out. It freaked them out every time. Jack Valenti, who was the head lobbyist for the Motion Picture Association of America, once licensed the ferocious video cassette recorder to Jack the Ripper and poor, helpless Hollywood to a woman at home alone. That was the level of rhetoric. And so the media industries begged, insisted, demanded that Congress do something. And Congress did something. By the early 90s, Congress passed the law that changed everything. And that law was called the Audio Home Recording Act of 1992. What the Audio Home Recording Act of 1992 said was, look at if people are taping stuff off the radio and then making mixtapes for their friends, that is not a crime. That's OK. Taping and remixing and sharing with your friends is okay. If you make lots and lots of high quality copies and you sell them, that's not okay. But this taping business, fine, let it go. And they thought that they'd clarified the issue because they'd set out a clear distinction between legal and illegal copying. But that wasn't what the media businesses wanted. They had wanted Congress to outlaw copying full stop. So when the Audio Home Recording Act of 1992 was passed, the media businesses gave up on the idea of legal versus illegal distinctions for copying because it was clear that if Congress was acting in their framework, they might actually increase the rights of citizens to participate in our own media environment. So they went for Plan B. It took them a while to formulate Plan B. But plan B appeared in its first full-blown form in 1998, something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It's a complicated piece of legislation, a lot of moving parts. But the main thrust of the DMCA was that it was legal to sell you uncopyable digital material, except that there's no such thing as uncopyable digital material. It would be, as Ed Felton once famously said, like handing out water that wasn't wet. Bits <laughs> are copyable. That's what computers do. That is a side effect of their ordinary operation. So in order to fake the ability to sell uncopyable bits, the DMCA also made it legal to force you to use systems that broke the copying function of your devices. Every DVD player and game player and television and computer you brought home, no matter what you thought you were getting when you bought it, could be broken by the content industries 
if they wanted to set that as a condition of selling you the content and to make sure that you didn't realize or didn't enact their capabilities as general purpose computing devices, they also made it illegal for you to try to reset the copyability of that content. The DMCA marks the moment when the media industries gave up on the legal system of distinguishing between legal and illegal copying and simply tried to prevent copying through technical means. Now the DMCA had and is continuing to have a lot of complicated effects, but in this one domain, limiting sharing, it has mostly not worked. And the main reason it hasn't worked is the internet has turned out to be far more popular and far more powerful than anyone imagined. Right? The mixtape, the fanzine, that was nothing compared to what we're seeing now with the internet. We are in a world where most American citizens over the age of 12 share things with each other online. We share written things, we share images, we share audio, we share video. Some of the stuff we share is stuff we've made. Some of the stuff we share is stuff we've found. Some of the stuff we share is stuff we've made out of what we've found. And all of it horrifies those industries. So PIPA and SOPA are round two. But where the DMCA was surgical, we want to go down into your computer. We want to go down into your television set, down into your game machine, and prevent it from doing what they said it would do at the store. PIPA and SOPA are nuclear. They're saying, we want to go anywhere in the world and censor content. Now, the mechanism, as I said, for doing this is you need to take out anybody pointing to those IP addresses. You need to take them out of search engines. You need to take them out of online directories. You need to take them out of user lists. And because the biggest producers of content on the internet are not Google and Yahoo, they're us. We're the people getting policed. Because in the end, the real threat to the enactment of PIPA and SOPA is our ability to share things with one another. So what PIPA and SOPA risk doing is taking a centuries-old legal concept, innocent until proven guilty, and reversing it. Guilty until proven innocent. You can't share until you show us that you're not sharing something we don't like. Suddenly, the burden of proof for legal versus illegal falls affirmatively on us and on the services that might be offering us any new capabilities. And if it costs even a dime to police a user, that will crush a service with 100 million users. So this is the internet they have in mind. Imagine this sign everywhere. Except imagine it doesn't say College Bakery. Imagine it says YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. Imagine it says Ted, because the comments can't be policed at any acceptable cost. The real effects of SOPA and PIP are going to be different than the proposed effects. The threat, in fact, is this inversion of the burden of proof, where we suddenly are all treated like thieves at every moment we're given the freedom to create, to produce, or to share. And the people who provide those capabilities to us, the YouTubes and Facebooks, the Twitters and Teds, are in the business of having to police us or being on the hook for contributory infringement. There's two things you can do to help stop this. A simple thing, 
and a complicated thing, an easy thing and a hard thing. The simple thing, the easy thing is this. If you're an American citizen, call your representative, call your senator. Now, when you look at the people who've co-signed on the SOPA bill, people who've co-signed on PIPA, what you see is that they have cumulatively received millions and millions of dollars from the traditional media industries. You don't have millions and millions of dollars. But you can call your representatives, and you can remind them that you vote, and you can ask not to be treated like a thief, and you su could suggest that you would prefer that the internet not be broken. And if you're not an American citizen, you can contact American citizens that you know and encourage them to do the same. <laughs> because this seems like a national issue, but it is not. These industries will not be content with breaking our internet. If they break it, they will break it for everybody. That's the easy thing. That's the simple thing. The hard thing is this. Get ready. Because more is coming. SOPA is simply a reversion of COICA, which was proposed last year, which did not pass. And all of this goes back to the failure of the DMCA to disallow sharing as a technical means. And the DMCA goes back to the Audio Home Recording Act, which horrified those industries. Because the whole business of actually suggesting that someone is breaking the law and then gathering evidence and proving that, that turns out to be really inconvenient. Right? We'd prefer not to do that, says the content industry. And what they want is not to have to do that. They don't want legal distinctions between legal and illegal sharing. They just want the sharing to go away. PIPA and SOPA are not oddities. They're not anomalies. They're not events. They're the next turn of this particular screw, which has been going on 20 years now. And if we defeat these, as I hope we do, more is coming. Because until we convince Congress that the way to deal with copyright violations is the way copyright violation was dealt with with Napster, with YouTube, which is to have a trial with all the presentation of evidence and the hashing out of facts and the assessment of remedies that goes on in democratic societies. That's the way to handle it. In the meantime, the hard thing to do is to be ready. Because that's the real message of PIP episode. Time Warner is called. And they want us all back on the couch, just consuming. Not producing, not sharing. And we should say no.
Thank mm -hmm. you.